and welcome to the Fact Checker Podcast, where we check your claims made by political candidates in Iowa or about Iowa. Uh, before we get started, we'll introduce the team. My name's Michaela. I cover healthcare for the Gazette. I'm John Steffi. I cover business for the Gazette. I'm Marissa Payne. I cover Cedar Rapids government. And you may notice Erin Jordan is not here today, but fear not, she is not gone forever. She just took a few days off and we decided to let her take those days off. So you're just stuck with us today, but she will be back for next week and we're excited to have her back. Um, but this week, we might have a bit of a heavy fact check today. Uh, we have some claims made by Senator Jim Carlin. He's a re- state uh, Republican out of Sioux City. Uh, And he made some claims regarding uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Now, that's a big news item this week. We, as of this week, had more than a million COVID-19 vaccines administered to Iowans, which is a pretty big landmark considering where we started in this pandemic and how quickly vaccines have been rolling out. But, you know, during that discussion with Senator Carlin, state senators were discussing a bill uh, that would bar state businesses from mandating their employees uh, get the vaccine. And, you know, it was during that discussion that Senator Carlin raised some concerns that he had about the risk of these immunizations and sort of the the fallacy of making mandating these vaccines if there would be these these adverse reactions. Um, So he made three specific claims during this uh, discussion, which was a Senate Human Resources Committee, and we will be checking all three. And I should note, it is standard for the fact checker to reach out to uh, individuals that we are fact-checking uh, for their sourcing when they make these claims. Uh, so I reached out to Senator Carlin. He did not respond to our request for sourcing. So we will be kind of going off of what we could find through research or kind of our best guess in some some instances. So the first claim, uh, Senator Carlin said, there's a $2 billion vaccination injury fund for the reason that people do get injured when vaccines are administered, sometimes seriously. Now, there is a national vaccine injury, excuse me, a national vaccine injury compensation program. It was created in the 1980s and is managed by the U.S. Human Resources and Services Administration. And it's a way to resolve vaccine injury petitions outside of the traditional court system. So people who have an adverse reaction or an injury uh, to a vaccine can file a petition through this program. And it's outside of the typical civil litigations process, and, and it moves a little bit quicker. Um, so the HHS, excuse me, HHS website does state that uh, vaccines can cause serious problems, uh, mostly severe allergic reactions. But they did note that these cases are very rare. Um, and in order to win this compensation, uh, the petitioner who is petitioning the program for this financial compensation must show a connection between the injury and the vaccine in question. So you don't get compensation, say, you go to your doctor's office, get the flu shot, trip outside, hit your head. That doesn't really count. Um, But we'll take a look at uh, the program itself. Uh, Since its inception in 1988, the program has awarded more than $4 billion in compensation to 7,826 petitioners, according to the report on the program's website. Um, in fiscal year 2020 alone, there were 251 settlements, which totaled to about $103 million. Now, it should be noted that just between 2006 and 2018, there were 3.7 billion vaccine doses administered to Americans. Um, and during that time period, there were uh, 5,376 petitions filed during that time that received some form of compensation. 
now just kind of for a little bit logistics of how this program works. Um, anytime someone files a petition with this program, no matter whether or not compensation is rewarded for the injury in question, this program will pay for attorney fees. So when we're talking about receiving some form of compensation, we're also counting those petitions that weren't necessarily accepted, but the attorney fees were paid for that litigation process. Um, so if you count the attorney fees overall, uh, it the program reached about $4.5 billion as of March 1st this year in terms of total funds it distributed. So, you know, taking a look at Carlin's claim, he was incorrect about the cost of the program and was, in fact, off by about $2 billion. Uh, the total funding is $4.5 billion, not $2 billion. Um, you know, he was correct that serious adverse reactions can occur and people can sometimes seriously be injured by these vaccines. But he didn't offer the context that these instances are very rare uh, when, can you, when you consider the total doses administered. So for that, I gave that claim a D. But I'd like to pause here and get thoughts from the team on what they think. Um, you know, I really waffled on this grade. I didn't know if this went as low as a D or if it should earn a C, but I'm curious what you guys think. Well, I'm glad you included the context about the fact that these really are not very often because, I mean, specifically with him saying for the reason that people do get injured when vaccinations are administered, sometimes seriously, makes it sound like it's kind of a common thing, just like, I mean, people slipping on the ice in winter. Um, and I mean, that clearly is not the case. So um, I'm glad that you incorporated that. Yeah, and that's kind of something I waffled back and forth on too. Um, you know, he didn't necessarily say that this is common for people to be injured. He just said sometimes people do get injured with these vaccines. So I didn't really know how much weight to give that. Um, so, and that I think that's kind of why I waffled on that. But I think just because that did lack context, I did end up falling to a D. Um, but, you know, I'm curious what you think, Marissa. Uh, do you think that that context deserves more weight or less weight? I'm contemplating because I, I see your argument there, Michaela, that, you know, because he didn't specify, um, you know, kind of the frequency. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, since it's not like a great frequency of, you know, um, injuries occurring when there are vaccinations, I feel like that should be given more weight because there's a, a ton of like, you know, surgeries carry, you know, certain risks. Um, so just kind of like in the context of the medical field overall, like there's a number of things that could be done that are risky, but, you know, people don't discourage like, you know, getting a life-saving surgery or something like that. So, um, you know, I think when you consider the rate overall that, um, it probably warrants a D. Yeah, I agree with the D as well. I mean, it seems like all of the claims here are kind of challenging ones to kind of put on the grading scale. But I mean, that missing context, I think, is kind of a key thing in terms of I mean, bringing that down to a D as opposed to maybe a C. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And kind of to Marissa's point, you know, there, the the overall benefit of vaccines kind of outweighs the, the potential risk, it seems, at least from the studies that I read. Um, and quite frankly, just the fact that he was off on his stat by $2 billion, I, I kind of gave that a lot of weight. It's, he wasn't even really close on that. Um, 
Okay. So we will stick to a D with that one. Um, yeah. And you know, there are times that if somebody's rounding off a little bit, we'll kind of give some leeway there, but there's a big difference between, I mean, 2 billion and 4.5 billion. Right. And that just may be outdated information. Uh, maybe he mm-hmm. looked at 2007 stats and it was 2 billion there. So at one point in time, perhaps, um, but, but not recently anyway. Yeah, I think it's helpful too to have the history in there about the you know just about the program um, since it since he is speaking within the context of uh, COVID nineteen vaccines. It's helpful to understand that you know this program has been around for quite some time. So um, you know it's not like specifically COVID vaccines are dangerous and risky, and this program was created because of that. So it's helpful to know. Yeah, exactly. And it is interesting to note, too, that, you know, this injury fund is really specifically for childhood vaccines. I think they added a flu vaccine back in like 2005. Um, It was really kind of created around childhood immunization. Um, And I know there's always kind of been a history of um, concern about childhood immunizations. We don't need to get into that, really. But um, yeah, it's, it was interesting. He was sort of making this argument about this injury fund around the COVID-19 vaccine when this program is, has sort of existed for so many years to really kind of protect the, the companies that, that create these vaccines in, in order to continue these vaccines, roll out and, and make sure that people have access to these vaccines and that these companies aren't tied up in litigations or tied up in civil court. So moving on to the second claim. Um, There's some statistical data out there that shows 908 people in the first two months of the calendar year have died shortly after being administered with the COVID-19 vaccine with the VAERS database. So there's a few things in there. We'll break it down. Um, So VAERS refers to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is a database maintained by the CDC and the USDA, and it serves as sort of an early warning system for potential vaccine safety concerns. So how it works is anybody who receives these vaccines can uh, report an adverse reaction to the database. So because of that, uh, officials have placed a disclaimer on the database that says, you know, VAERS can't be used to determine if a vaccine has caused or contributed an adverse event because the reports usually contain or may contain incomplete, inaccurate, or coincidental information um, because this is really just the public saying, you know, as soon as I got a vaccine, this happened to me. Um, But if you just take a look at the hard numbers, according to the database, uh, 1,182 people in the U.S. reportedly died after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine developed by Moderna or Pfizer in January and February. Uh, 612 of those were from Moderna. 570 had received the Pfizer shot. Um, And I'll just note the numbers likely don't match up with Carlin claim because maybe reports were submitted after that um, March 5th. uh, No, excuse me, it wasn't that date, but uh, it may not match up with Carlin's claims because reports were submitted after that subcommittee hearing. So we won't ding him too much on that. Um, But I wanted to talk about the how VAERS reporting works. So as soon as the reports are made to VAERS, CDC investigates every report and takes a look into it. And so I you know, it, it's still a little bit too early to look into all of these reports, given that we're only in March and these reports were made in January and February. But um, I wanted to talk about a vaccine safety monitoring report that was made in the first month of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, which was uh, December 14th to January 21st. 
So in that time, there was 113 deaths reported to the VARES database. However, the report states that available information on those cases via death certificates, autopsy reports, medical reports, and clinical descriptions from healthcare providers didn't suggest any relationship between the COVID-19 shot and the death itself. Um, they used the term that there was no casual relationship between those two things. So the report do does go on to note that there have been cases of vaccine recipients going into anaphylactic shock as a result of the shot. Um, but it should be noted that that occurred in 4.5 cases per 1 million doses administered, um, which is comparable rates with those reported for other vaccines. And it should be noted that uh, these reactions only occurred in individuals who had a medical history of going into anaphylactic shock for various reasons. Um, so there was, there was a reason why that may have happened. Um, and so officials go on to state in the report that no unexpected patterns of reactions or other safety concerns have been identified during early monitoring. So taking a look just at its face that there were hundreds of people, or in this case, more than a thousand people that died shortly after getting the vaccine. Sure, that's true. But I think it's important to remember that correlation does not equal causation. And early data from federal officials indicates that vaccines did not directly cause those deaths. There were other reasons behind those deaths. The fact that they got the shot ahead of time was coincidental. Um, and so therefore, I, I gave this claim an F. I thought that that context was important. Um, and I know we don't give Fs often, very often in fact checker. So I think it's important to kind of spend some time on this and, and kind of get the team's thoughts on what they think. Yeah, I think this is a tough one here just because there is that little bit of truth there with that statistical data. But at the same time, I mean, he's coming to a, I mean, what he's implying in this claim is, I mean, very, very, very off. So um, it's kind of a tricky balancing between those two things. Yeah, I agree that it's tough because there is the implication there. Um, you know, even though he doesn't say that these 908 people died because of uh, receiving a COVID vaccine, you know, he's raising suspicion that, um, that, you know, because they died shortly after receiving it, that that's why. So, yeah, it just comes down to what do we want to give more weight is the implication that he's suggesting or do we give more weight to, you know, he he just really kind of laid it out there that this is the number of people that died after. And that's like explicitly what he said. I'm yeah. maybe leaning a little bit towards a D on this one, just because there is that little bit of I mean, it isn't completely out of left field. I mean. It's still, I mean, really off in terms of the conclusion that he's coming to, but it isn't like he's saying that, I mean, they died at, or because of the COVID-19 vaccine. It's just after being administered with. I do wonder if he is trying to make that point, though, or at least like sort of stating the fact to let whoever is listening draw that conclusion themselves, um, you know, because it is there does seem to be kind of this growing effort, at least around immunizations, misinformation, you know, not mm -hmm. saying that this is the case here, but there does seem to be, you know, raising two things together and letting sort of the public draw that conclusion. You know, it's kind of like the the autism thing, right? Um, 
So I do wonder if, if kind of by not offering that disclaimer, Carlin is trying to make that point that perhaps this could have been caused by the vaccine and that maybe we should be worried about it. And to be fair, you know, the CDC and the FDA do need to still look into these these deaths that occurred in January and February and March. There are some reports from March as well. Um, but at least early reporting indicates that, you know, those two things weren't related. So I guess I kind of question the motivation behind Carlin raising that, if not to raise that point in people's mind that maybe it was caused by that vaccine. That's a great point. I had not been really thinking about, OK, what's his motivation in bringing this up? And I think that, I mean, now you bring that up does kind of show that, I mean, okay, yeah, you're not bringing this up if you're trying to not make that conclusion. Well, and especially too, if he, um, you know, depending on what Senator Grassley does and if he runs for reelection, you know, we know Jim Carlin is interested in, um, in running if Grassley doesn't. So, you know, is this kind of a bid to capture that base of voters who, you know, is very skeptical of the COVID vaccine. And, you know, so is he just trying to, you know, follow along with the misinformation that's out there and, um, you know, play to that voting block? Um, That's also something to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's one thing to make the argument that people shouldn't be mandated or their health care shouldn't be mandated. But it's another thing to sort of maybe inflate risk or try to two, draw two points together that, that may not be there. Um, you know, and it was interesting. I, you know, I think other politicians across the U.S. have, have kind of used this stat to, for other reasons, for other campaign ads or whatever it might be. And looking at other fact checkers across the state, they, you know, they kind of, it seemed like they grappled with this too. There was one fact check that I saw that sort of gave it a mostly true just because like, yes, on its face, like, this is true, but it didn't sort of weigh the context behind it. Um, and I guess personally, I felt that context is really key when we when we take a look at claims like this. Um, and so that's what ultimately kind of led me to to give the grade that I did. And I mean, there are some claims where that context is, I mean, the difference between, okay, I mean, what's somebody's perception about, I mean, the estate tax on family farms? I mean, that's kind of one level of context. And then there's the level of context that, I mean, changes somebody's mindset on potentially a life-saving vaccine. And I think that adds, I mean, kind of a whole nother layer of context that we I mean don't necessarily have in the ordinary claim. I guess there's just more at stake here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, it sounds like then we're in agreement that that an F is called for here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And maybe more explicitly to, I mean, you already kind of mentioned this in your, um, you know, conclusion before giving the grade for this claim, but, um, you know, making, connecting some of those dots between like him running for re-election and just kind of the national um, information ecosystem we're in with, you know, these efforts to kind of undermine, uh, you know, vaccination efforts. That would all be really helpful context. Okay, yeah, no, that is a really good point. I can um, kind of flesh that out a little bit more in this check, or at least kind of provide that context to people who, um, who may not be in touch with that. Okay. Okay, perfect. Um, okay, so moving on to the third claim, 
Um, Carlin states, by some estimates, 40% of healthcare workers do not want to be forced to take the vaccine. Um, so again, because he didn't respond to fact checker, it's, it's unclear to me what data Carlin was using to make this specific claim. Um, the state's coronavirus website doesn't list data specifically showing the vaccine acceptance rate among healthcare workers in Iowa. Um, so I've reached out to state public health department to maybe see if we could get that data. I haven't heard back yet. So I guess a caveat, this claim may change, this grade may change depending on what that specific data says. Um, so as we kind of wait for that, I looked at, uh, you know, tried to see if we could, I could track down some individual hospital acceptance rate. Um, and I looked at the state's host largest hospital system, the University of Iowa Healthcare. Um, they're showing about a nearly 83% vaccine acceptance rate as of this week. Now that could look differently at different hospitals across the state. So we may just have to wait for that state data sh to show up. Um, but, you know, kind of looking for that specific stat, that 40% number, there are rates of refusal in specific parts of the country that do match that claim. Um, just for example, 40% of health frontline healthcare workers in Los Angeles Cali County in California, they've declined the vaccine, according to the LA Times. Um, but taking a look at overall national polling, that it, nothing really that I found matches Carlin's statement. Um, I found a survey conducted in February by the nonpartisan Kaiser Family Foundation, and their polling shows that about 15% of healthcare workers said they would not get the shot, they would definitely not take the shot, and an additional 6% said that they would only take it if they were required to do so. Um, so that's that's well below the 40% that I could find. Um, and I because I couldn't find any data supporting Carlin's specific claims on a state or national level, I've given him an F for this. Um, but again, interested in the team's comments if maybe I'm putting too much weight on that specific number or if maybe... It, there's something here that I'm missing that could maybe lend itself to some insight on this. What I kind of wonder is maybe he's using that 40% from LA County to say, oh, well, that's one estimate, but it's not of Iowa or nationally. So, I mean, it'd be like saying that, um, I mean, 40% of people are concerned about a wildfire tomorrow. I mean, when Iowa doesn't really have wildfires. If you're in, I mean, LA County, that might be a concern. But, I mean, Iowa is a different place. I mean, and choosing one, I mean, local place and just pulling that number. I agree with the F. I just don't see any, I mean, un, with the caveat that if, I mean, Iowa Department of Public Health says, hey, here we go. Um, there's this, um, I'd be open to changing it obviously, but as things stand right now, I see this as kind of a textbook F. Yeah. And especially, you know, as you mentioned, UI healthcare having such a high acceptance rate of 83%, you know, that's vastly different from 40%. And of course, you know, we, we still have the rest of the state, um, and data that hopefully, uh, Iowa Department of Public Health can provide, but. Yeah, because I mean, we we don't even know that he is using LA Times data, and you know that may just be something that happens to coincidentally align, um, you know, with the number that he threw out there, and you know, Michaela found that. Um, 
yeah, since we don't know what he's using and we can't find anything at the state or national level to support that. Yeah, I agree with Neff. And, you know, thinking about it now, maybe he's referring to constituents in Sioux City. Um, maybe there's there's some stat that exists that he's heard that um, maybe kind of lends itself to this particular claim. Um, it just it's unfortunate that that he didn't get back to us uh, as far as the sourcing to kind of provide that insight, because I do feel like that insight tends to help us at least understand the mindset in which some of these claims are made or at least kind of the background behind them. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, getting that state data could at least provide some insight. Who knows? Maybe University of Iowa is abnormal in its 83% acceptance rate. And, and maybe we'll find that that other parts of the state are not like that. Um, but I think in, until we find that out, until that's kind of verified, um, I think we'll, we'll probably stick with enough on this particular claim. And I did like your point, John, about how like 40% of Americans care about wildfires in California. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, I, I think if you ask an Iowan, I don't, I don't, they may care about it for different reasons than, than someone in California <laughs> cares about it for. Well, I was going to use the example of hurricanes and then the derecho happens. So maybe that one isn't a great example anymore. <laughs> we know what but, a hurricane is now. <laughs> yeah. But it just, I mean, it's kind of the first thing I thought of there. I mean, okay, what California is dealing with really isn't what Iowa is dealing with necessarily. Yeah. And it's sort of an interesting and, and just kind of doing research on this, you know, they're finding a lot of hesitancy among people of color. Um, you know, I, I saw stats from one particular hospital that has a majority black staff and, and they're seeing really low acceptance rates. And that really just kind of has to do with the historical context behind that, which we don't have to get into. But, you know, I think we'd there be are a here lot... for another couple hours. With right. That. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think there are just kind of a lot of caveats behind acceptance rates and sort of a lot of reasons driving. Um, um, maybe low acceptance rates of this vaccine. Um, and I think all those caveats are kind of interesting and important to note in my mind anyway. And I mean, mentioning those demographics, that's obviously, I mean, not the demographic of Iowa that you have in LA County. So, I mean, those factors also play a much smaller role in Iowa healthcare workers compared to say LA County. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely still a factor here, but maybe not as big of a driving factor for the overall acceptance rate. Yeah. I mean, unless we also wanted to kind of delve into the nuance of him saying that healthcare workers do not want to be forced to take the vaccine, because I mean, that's like what the legislation is primarily aiming at. They just don't want employers to have that mandate out there that people need to get vaccinated and you know, I mean, throughout COVID, we've seen that kind of emphasis on, um, you know, personal freedom versus like, you know, corporations and government entities stepping up to, um, you know, take responsibility for mitigating the spread of the virus. Um, so I don't know if there's anything out there specifically, you know, kind of pulling people's attitudes toward mandates of the vaccine that might support what he's saying. Yeah, no, that is a really good point. Um, so I kind of looked into polling about like mandating shots and I couldn't find anything specific to healthcare workers, um, but I can go back and look and see if there's just anything kind of general polling on like mandating the vaccine, if that would be a good context to provide on this. Yeah, I think that might help. Um, I still don't think that that'd be enough to change the grade, but okay. I think that could be some helpful context to have. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I think that is that is a good point, you know, just sort of, it's interesting how, you know, as important as it is for these healthcare systems in Iowa for their employees to get vaccines, they're still not, for my understanding, most of them aren't requiring them. They're just sort of highly encouraging it, so to speak. Um, so I, it's it's interesting that that's kind of being brought up as an issue. And I'm, I'm curious if that is actually happening in the state, it's, at least from my viewpoint as a healthcare reporter, it's, it's not what I see anyway. I don't know if you see anything different, John. Yeah, I've not heard of that yet. Um, I mean, the kind of companies vaccinating that I've been following, like Whirlpool, for example, I mean, it was a, if you are interested, sign up. Um, and they did not say how many people signed up, but as more people, so it was at least more than the, somewhere in the 1100s. I don't have that number off the top of my head. Um, but I mean, they had more than that who wanted it than they had doses. Hmm. So, um, yeah, this hasn't been an issue at least with the employers I've talked to so far. Now, maybe things could change, but at this point, it's not something I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of wrapping things up, you know, I, I think, you know, we've kind of touched on this overall throughout this discussion, just kind of as the vaccine becomes more widely available and, and maybe in the coming months as sort of this rush and this, this fever to get the vaccine kind of calms down and people who have, were actively seeking it, get it. Um, you know, I think it'll really kind of come to light after that point that there are still some people really hesitant to get this vaccine and, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of public health officials I've talked to at least said that some of these hesitancies is legitimate. And, you know, I think we need to take more of the time to, to educate them on that. But, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, and, and to the point that we sort of talked about before, it seems that Car- Carlin, at least in, in my viewpoint, has relied on some misinformation to make his point about not mandating vaccines and people who, who may be hesitant to do so. And I think that's important to note and important to kind of question a bit, especially in the midst of a public health crisis and and, in the middle of a pandemic when there are lives at stake. Um, And so with with two Fs and a D, I've given him an F overall. Um, Does that sound like a good plan, team? Obviously with the caveat on that third claim, depending on on what we may find with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, me too. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this was a heavy one, uh, kind of with everything going on in the background and and just sort of this heavy topic. Because, you know, it, it's interesting because it, it kind of goes into sort of the ethical question of of mandating people's health care and all that. And it's it, it's a tough one. So I appreciate the team digging into this with me. Yeah, you had all the fun pronunciations, too, to go through on this. So you should get acronyms. some bonus points there. <laughs> A lot of acronyms with V in them for some reason, but I guess it makes sense with the word vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, I will likely revisit with you guys with some of these notes that you've given, but, um, you know, until next time, uh, this podcast is produced today by Katie Brumbelow. Our fact checks are edited by Craig Jamolis and our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm John Steppy. I'm Marissa Payne. Until next time, we'll back check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.